Hello and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Devendra Hardwar, and today I'm joined with... Jeff Kanata. Hey, Jeff. And Dave Chen is not with us today. He had to step out. Uh, but joining us for the review of Shazam, a movie I've been looking forward to for a while, is Griffin Newman from the Blank Check podcast and Amazon's The Tick. And I'm expecting that's going to be a fun conversation as yeah, Deidre, always, yeah. I should I should apologize to everybody listening because uh, <laughs> you know a lot of people noted last week that I did not do a limerick uh, in true. the in the Matrix episode. I I thought it was not a new movie. We're not really reviewing it. it what could like happen? Yeah. What, what's the worst that could happen? Well, we found out the worst that could happen. Dave <laughs> got irate. I've never seen him like that. It was frankly terrifying. Yeah. And uh, now he's not here this week. So you it's guys put two and two together. Uh, he threatened to, you know, never come back. So hopefully <laughs> we can get him to come back next week. Uh, but I, I apologize to everyone because I know you guys expect Dave Chen to be here. And it's my, it's my fault for not having the limerick. So thanks a lot. Uh, I apologize. It's I all apologize. your fault. Yeah. Well, yeah, we really don't have much on our plate today. Uh, we do have a couple things to talk about that we've been watching that we uh, didn't mention during last week's show. So I'm going to get that started. I've been watching Love, Death, and Robots, the Ooh. new Netflix anthology series. Yeah, this is it's a lot of fun. It's uh, created by Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, and also produced by David Fincher. And I think it's a series that has a lot of both of their sensibilities in mind. Uh, I think the title is very uh, apt. There's a lot of love uh, more like a lot of sex and death and robots. Like it's a really, it's a cool riff on science fiction and basically adult oriented science fiction. So kind of reminds me of like MTV's, what was it? Liquid TV back in yeah, the day. Like Aeon flux and stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. It's fun. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I think some shorts are better than others or about like 10 to 15 minutes each. Um, some definitely feel like, oh, this is definitely something that probably came from the mind of David Fincher. Like one recurring theme for some reason is uh, violence against women as a plot point. Um, mm. not cool. Uh, also really weird because then sometimes some of the, some of the shorts are just like fun things of like, you know, robots uh, walking through the, you know, human apocalypse and telling jokes to each other. So it's, <laughs> it's just... It's all over the place. I really like some episodes, really don't care for others. Um, one, I believe, um, it's called When the Yogurt Took Over, which is based <laughs> on a John Scalzi short story. Oh. And uh, it's narrated by the guy who did, um, what's his name? The voice of uh, the brain from Pinky and the Brain. Oh, okay. Famous, famous voice actor whose name is escaping me right now. But it's like a three minute thing of just this like crazy idea of super sentient yogurt and how that you know leads to the end or the hope of humanity but it's such a it's such a beautiful little sci-fi piece like go watch it right now if you haven't checked out the series just go watch that episode i think that encapsulates the best of this idea of you know love death and robots basically i think you'd love that jeff it's so much fun i have to be honest i was a little turned off after i learned that it it's just a bunch of shorts that are aren't really connected to one another I, yeah yeah i, I don't know it, i it, it, to me, that feels – I don't know why I, that's mm -hmm. such a turnoff to me. I think that's just – it feels like it's not going to add up to anything. Yeah. So it, does it feel like a bunch of music videos or is it more substantial than that? It kind of does. It does kind of feel like you know just people riffing on their ideas of, of science fiction. But I think each of the episodes also has really cool animation. So it's also mm -hmm. really cool to see these people just to get their – 
uh, animation techniques and a way to get their ideas out there. I, I think it's a lot like the Animatrix without the connecting yeah. tissue of the Matrix. Right. Um, you know, give it a shot. Uh, I can't guarantee you'll like every one, but certainly the yogurt one is very good, and the one about the uh, the robots just walking through the apocalypse is hilarious. There's so many great gags in that. Well, I do love me some John Scalzi. That guy is exactly. a awesome author. Author, so I might I might check that out. He's doing real good these days. Yeah, and what have you seen, Jeff? Oh, uh, there's quite a bit. I we had we didn't really have uh, time for what we've been watching last week, so catching up on some stuff. I watched uh, all of Catastrophe season four. Uh, Catastrophe is a show I've talked about before on the show, and uh, I think you watched it as well, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's a show I really like, and this is not just the fourth season. It's also the final season of the show about an American and an Irish woman who uh, have a one-night stand that results in a pregnancy, and then he moves over to, I believe, London? Is yes. it London? Or, yeah, London with her uh, to live, and now we're in the fourth season. The show is really dark. I mean – So dark, the, yeah. There is – yeah, there is an honesty where they mine their comedy that borders on just meanness. Yeah, you know, it is yeah. like characters who say what they feel in the moment in a raw and brutal way that mm. that sometimes – I mean there are moments in this fourth season where people say just ugly, awful things to each other. It's people brutal. who are married and in love, yeah. you know? Uh, and and then they brush it off two scenes later. You know, it's 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 a tone that isn't always doesn't always land on me. Well, it's if it, sometimes it feels like, man, these people are just awful to one another. <laughs> but I also there's a heart in it, and there and there is an honesty with regard to how difficult some things are in life, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. difficult it is to cohabitate and deal with life's ups and downs, and the real. I mean, there's. This season has like alcoholism, uh, fallout and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and then it ends in a really powerful, enigmatic way that has stuck with me. I wish we could talk about the specifics of it because I was like, did I just see what I think I saw? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's very – it's open-ended in a way that I think is perfectly fitting for what the show right. is getting at. Basically like – uh, let's uh, vaguely like, uh, you know, life takes you places and you're going to take chances and you don't know what will happen. Basically, right, right. but you do it because of love. Uh, I really enjoyed this final season. I definitely hear you, Jeff. Like the, it's such a unique tone of people being mean to each other. But I think it's also the sort of thing where, like, you look at these people, uh, or you know, Rob Delaney's character and Sharon Horgan's character, and you just think they these people deserve each other in a way. <laughs> yeah. Like they both like they they are both kind of mean and misanthropic in the same way. And at the same time, they find a connection through that. And I wonder, like, would they it's almost like a true love type thing. Like, could they find other people who really connect with you connect with them on that same level? I kind of don't think so. So it's weird how this is at the same time, to me, kind of a true love story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they find that, too, in in a way, like they acknowledge that they are made for each other in a cosmic way, Mm -hmm. you know, that. And, and yeah, I mean, I, this is a series I would recommend without reservation, but also be prepared. Yeah, be prepared. And it didn't, it didn't always make me feel good. And and that's okay. Like it, 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 at times it's like, Whoa, that is harsh, mm-hmm. but, uh, but really interesting in characters, the kind of characters you, you don't really see on television much. Yeah. So. Do you, do you watch you're the worst Jeff? I do. It's I very do. similar. 
Similar, yeah. In in the way that these people are sort of awful to one another, but like because they're both awful, they sort of belong together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I I think actually I think catastrophe has more bite to it. No, oh, definitely. Think, it's it is much sharper. All I think because these characters and the actors and writers are just older too. Like yeah, it, it, there's right. a lot more. There's a lot more experience there that makes it more biting. Whereas uh, and higher you're the stakes. Worst. Yeah, higher, higher stakes. stakes. You're yeah. the worst. Is like you know your 20s and 30 somethings just like trying to survive the hellscape yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. The worst thing that can happen to the people in you're the worst is like you know they get drunk and say awful <laughs> things and that you know and, and that you know people in catastrophe are like this is our life we have children it's yes. you know the stakes are high. But uh, it's a good show. It's a good show. And I think a, a really – I like shows that know when to exit stage left mm-hmm. you know, and leave, uh, you know, leave on a high note. And this one certainly does that, I think. Excellent. I've also been watching the new Ricky Gervais show on Netflix called Afterlife. And uh, this is a very short uh, show, uh, only a few episodes. I watched it in one sitting. Huh. I, I think it's six – I think it's six episodes, six half-hour episodes. So yeah, three hours. I watched it in one sitting and by the end, I was crying those like fat tears, <laughs> you know, like those big fat tears that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love this show. I, I, I'm a fan of Ricky Gervais. He's problematic sometimes and not – Kind you know, of a jerk, yeah. He can be a jerk. Yeah. And I have to admit – a lot of this show is like, oh, this is just an excuse for Ricky Gervais to be a jerk. Oh, boy. And say his jerky things. And that's one reading of it. And it's legit. Like, I think this is an excuse for him to do, like, stand-up material where he's like, God, I wish I could say this to a person. And then he <laughs> writes a scene where he says that to a person, you know. But it is also this treatise on why we should all live. I mean, the movie uh, – movie. The show – is about a, a guy who lost his wife about a year ago, I think, in, in the timeline of the show, and is suicidal. Like, doesn't think that there's any reason to go on living because he mm-hmm. loved his wife so much. And she was such a big part of his life. He starts in a place that, I have to admit, I could relate to in a sense that he looks at the world and goes, people are awful. Awful people win. There's no one held accountable for being terrible to other people. It, it is just a, you know, get mine, screw everyone else over, yeah. and I hate it, but wh- what sh- why should I put in any effort because that's how the world works. And the over the course of the show, it's getting to a place of realizing why we should go on living, why we should be here for our fellow man, why the world can be beautiful, and what our purpose is in it. And it's exquisite. I mean, it is really lovely and it's it's heartfelt and it's it's sweet at times. It's funny. It's it it is it's hardcore. Like, I mean, he's he's a suicidal guy like they Mm -hmm. they don't mince words about it. Like he wants to kill himself, but comes to this place of appreciating the magic of being good and what is what why we should all be good to each other and that journey made me cry. It it touched me. It it. I really thought this mo- this show was was excellent, and I I Great. highly recommend Afterlife. Yeah, I'm. Li- I mean, I want to check it out at some point. I do feel like Ricky Gervais's persona really makes it hard for me to swallow his like yeah. 
more sensitive and sweet things. And I know he's tried this with movies and not all of his movies have worked for me. He's a he's a tough enough to crack, right? Because sometimes I feel yeah. like when he's saying things like this, is he just being hypocritical? Because you're not you're not living your life the way, you know, the message of the show seems to be. Uh, but yeah, glad to hear you liked it, Jeff. And hopefully uh, I'll make time for that soon. Yeah, you know, I, I totally relate to what you just said, and I, I, I agree with it. But I also feel like the one thing I admire about him and mm-hmm. this uh, is that, like, if you're going to make art, why not make it about this? Why not make it about the most – the biggest questions of, like, literally, why go on living? Sure. Why should I go on living and not kill myself? And, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's a big question, but it's, it's sort of – I found myself thinking while watching this – you know, he's taken big swings. You know, he's he's if he's going to make something, he's going to talk about the biggest stuff. And I kind of dig that and I mm-hmm. kind of respect it. So definitely. Um, yeah, I liked it. And what next, Jeff? Uh, I also very excitedly tuned in to the new What We Do in the Shadows oh, yeah. TV show because I am such a huge fan of that movie. Uh, and. You know, I, I adore that movie. I think it is uh, genius mm-hmm. and and so well executed. And the TV show, I think, is good too. But you can't help but feel like it's sort of the B team or yeah, like a cover, cover band or yeah. something. Uh, Matt Berry is in the TV show, and I love Matt Berry. I'm watching he's, this mainly for Matt Berry. Yes, he's I'll so watch bright. anything he's in. Yeah, I agree. He is brilliant and hilarious. Uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Plays. Um, uh, Toast of London. Toast I, I mean, of I love yeah. love his shows. I love him. He's so funny, and he's inspired casting for this. He's great mm-hmm. in it, and I think actually I think everybody in it's pretty good. And and they're doing the same shtick, and maybe that's the problem in a sense because right. the movie is so good, you just can't help but feel like, oh, this is a cover band. But <laughs> you know, but you know, it's a cover band of songs I like. So I liked it, but you watched it too, right? I watched it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I think this is where, where were the characters actually located in the movie? Was that actually New Zealand or Australia or was that also I America? I think it, I can't remember. I think it was New Zealand. Okay. I think that that's a big change for the show. I, I like the idea like this. It is basically the B team, but it's like these dinosaurs that have just been in Staten Island for hundreds <laughs> yeah. of years. I like that concept. And it is kind of hilarious seeing them uh, exist in the real world. Uh, there's one character who plays an emotional vampire, Dude, which such is a brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. Great actors. Essentially, like playing uh, Milton from Office Space, but as somebody who sucks your soul as he's yeah. talking to you. And that's also like he's, these people exist a, too. Like it's it's so real. It's so good. It's, he's a legit vampire. Like he's a straight up vampire. Everybody acknowledges <laughs> he is a vampire. But he dresses like a normal guy, and uh-huh. his superpower, his super vampire power, is he just sucks the life out of you by <laughs> droning on endlessly. It is I love so... that even the vampires have to run away from him because he's the only <laughs> yeah. person that can suck life from a vampire. He can only, he's the only person that can vampire a vampire. It's so great. So Ugh. it's stuff like that, like the little yeah. stuff, and um, I think a uh, let's just say a you know a particularly well known uh, genre actor appears at the towards the end of the first episode, and I really like the concept of what they build up. Yeah, yes, I I, I have high hopes. I'm going to keep watching it, but it's it it's sort of unfair to judge it by the movie. Yes, uh, but yeah. you sort of can't help yourself. You know, like it, it's the movie is so brilliant, um, and I think that, you know I think it's great. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a great concept and really funny. And uh, I guess you're also <laughs> – there's something else you want to talk about, Jeff. Well, 
Well, it's my yearly uh, come out of the closet <laughs> as a wrestling fan moment because this last weekend was WrestleMania uh-huh. 35. And so uh, I just wanted to mention it. I only talk about wrestling once a year. And I, to be honest, uh, watch wrestling only a few times a year these days What with having children. Um, but, uh, man, it was an uneven WrestleMania this year. But it was a – it had some great moments. And one of them I just want to outline for you uh-huh. because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that, that look down <laughs> on wrestling, that think wrestling is stupid. And I just want to tell you about the storytelling in – there's a match with uh, Kofi Kingston uh-huh. and Daniel Bryan for the WWE Championship. Okay, Now, Daniel Bryan, who is the current – was into this match was the current WWE champion. He is this diminutive looking guy. He's got a big, long, scraggly beard. And for years and years and years, years ago, he was the consummate underdog. He was, he's a smaller guy in a company, the WWE that really elevates giant humans, you know? Uh, and he was a, a, a hard worker who kind of threw himself around the ring and had, uh, a, uh, charm and, and, but he just wasn't getting his shot Mm -hmm. and he sort of came upon this new catchphrase where he would point his two fingers up in the air and say, yes, yes, yes. And the whole audience, the whole crowd, yes, Shazam would start chanting. Yes, yes, yes. And so he, he became more and more popular. People loved that interactive element by by the power of the catchphrase, by the power of the catchphrase, which is you know, part of what I love about wrestling, it is a truly interactive art form. It is a truly interactive. Uh, it's it's like part stunt show, yeah. Part Greek theater where the audience is shouting at you know. It's it's part improvisation. It's it's great. Um, so anyway, so this is the backstory. Daniel Bryan he becomes the WWE champion against all odds years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and then he has uh, a big injury. They say he's actually not going to be able to wrestle anymore. Uh, goes away for a long time, comes back as what he's calling himself the new Daniel Bryan, <laughs> where he turned heel. Uh-huh. So he's actually a bad guy now. Gotta love and it. He, he's the man. He's He is the guy who is holding people down and not letting people <laughs> uh, move forward. And he's got like bigger dudes as his enforcers. Yeah. And he, but Every he's wrestling holding... hero, you know, live long enough to become the heel, basically. Exactly. Right? <laughs> totally true. And and, but it's it's brilliant because this guy was like the fan favorite, and now uh, people don't like him, and he uh-huh. he makes fun of them. But you know, so so he's <laughs> Jeff. I, I I survived Hulkmania. I know how this goes. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the storytelling. Okay, uh-huh. that's just the backstory of the bad guy in this in this uh, match. Kofi Kingston is this charming younger dude he's been around in in wwe for 11 years started out as a singles wrestler wowed people with his athleticism uh black guy who uh never really got a shot and then mm-hmm. he was put in just a few years ago was put in a uh, a tag team with two other guys they call themselves new day and they have become this really fun uh irreverent tag team uh, one of the guys comes to the ring with literally with a trombone and goes, <laughs> and they have like a breakfast cereal and they uh-huh. they uh, called bootios and they it's ridiculous. But <laughs> by f- sheer force of their own will and sheer creativity of their own, 
you know, wackiness they have won over the crowd and have become this fun thing. They were tag team champions anyway. But Kofi Kingston, he sort of had dreams of being a singles wrestling superstar. Okay. So he's trying to have this singles push where he's moving his way up. And the storyline is Daniel Bryan is not going to let him do it. Daniel Bryan keeps calling him a B-plus performer, right? He's not in the A league. He's not going to make it. He never can do it. And but Kofi Kingston keeps trying and keeps trying and keeps trying. And they, you know, over the course of months, they throw crazy stuff at him. They make <laughs> him fight five people in one night. And he's by the – the hair on his chinny chin chin he just scrapes by and manages to get he, he fights all five guys in one night and beats all of them these are major <laughs> dudes and he does it he, he does it and then daniel bryan comes out and says oh the last guy you did you beat all five guys well now you have to beat me and he comes down he cheats with his enforcer and kicks the crap out of uh kofi kingston and so no you're not going to get your title shot ah oh. so clutch from the jaws of victory a, a defeat Right. So what happens next? Well, his best buddies, the guys in New Day, uh-huh. they're like, no, no, no. He deserves a shot. We got to do it. And, and they're like, OK, well. Oh, by the way, during his like five guys in one night thing, New Day is backstage, like <laughs> cheering him on and rooting for him. You know, I really hope and somebody it, like uh, animates this whole this whole discussion <laughs> with you as a narrator, Jeff, just to break down what happened. Yeah. So so then. Daniel Bryan and Vince McMahon get this nefarious scheme, uh-huh. right? That it, they'll give Kofi Kingston a shot, but now New Day has to fight a bunch of people <laughs> and go through their own gauntlet. And Kofi Kingston, he can't, he can't help them in any way. So now he's backstage, and his best friends are the guys that are selflessly getting the crap kicking kicked out of them to help their friend get a title shot. But they're doing it because they love him. It's like this amazing storyline and they do it. They beat all the challengers. They go through all the tag teams that they that Vince McMahon and Daniel Bryan throw up against them and they do it and they get Kofi Kingston his title shot at WrestleMania. So that brings us to WrestleMania 35, the title shot. Okay. Kofi Kingston. <laughs> and I mean, long story short, he wins, but it is this like incredible moment of elevation. 11 years New Day is on the, you know, at ringside, rooting him on, banging on the thing. The crowd is hyped. They're calling it Kofi Mania. It is, it's just emotional catharsis moment that is, that transcends the fiction of the storyline and becomes about this guy who always dreamed about being a singles wrestling superstar and always dreamed about being a, uh, a, a champion Working hard for 11 years, putting in the hours, putting in the time, in reinventing himself, coming up with new things, and he finally does it. He finally reaches the pinnacle, getting his own belt, getting the WWE championship. And then at the end of it, he like brings his kids into the ring and they pull out T-shirts saying that they won. And it's like beautiful. So <laughs> that was a very long story, but it is. And, and you was, know, was it a good had, WrestleMania, Jeff? There was other really low moments in the show, but that was a high moment. How and that long made the is a whole... WrestleMania at this point? It's like seventeen hours. Jeez. It's uh, it's very. I think they're like four or five hours long at this point. Oh, it is. Man. It's a very long show. 
Uh, but there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of ups and downs. It's a very uneven thing. But it is – it's the Super Bowl of wrestling. That's cool. And uh, I've rarely ever gone into this much detail about why I love it. <laughs> but that's an example of why I love it. Listen, Jeff, like this is a safe space. You love what you love. <laughs> I mean as people were talking about um, wrestling, I was watching – you know, um, I was watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is this anime series. It's sort of like – it starts as this uh, – an English period piece. That ends up being about super strong guys fighting each other to the death. So it's essentially wrestling. Like, it is, <laughs> you you know, it's like, you know, okay. So I realized, you know, I may not be into wrestling, but I'm basically watching the same thing. Uh, I totally get it. I'm surprised, uh, Jeff, that nobody has really done wrestling for like, um, I guess the modern age. Like, I'm surprised there's no real like streaming support or anything. Or the are these well, things available as like a cut down for people to just buy and watch like what's happens. Like, how what is the modern state of wrestling right now? Well, it is all streaming. I mean, uh-huh. uh, WWE makes its money at this point. Mo- right. I mean, not, yeah, through an app. They have an app and they have a subscription service to a lot of content on that app, and it's right, like right, a right. whole channels worth. But of stuff. there's no like a, nobody else outside WWE at this point, right? I know people New Japan also people really like that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a, there are a few federations that actually are going strong. I've oh. always sort of been a WWE guy, and and, and to, as far as the cut down thing, one of the one of the things that I think has always been the biggest strength of the WWE, mm-hmm. uh, even back to the WWF days, is they have some of the best – talk about trailers. <laughs> they have some of the best trailer editors. They have some of the best – You know, in, invariably at WrestleMania and at other big moments, they – before a match, they'll show you like the two years that led up to that match in two minutes. You know, and they'll show these big moments and they'll have dramatic music and they'll it'll compress an entire very protracted storyline into (laughs) something really clear and concise. And uh, and that's one of the things I love about it is it's like, oh, yeah, I got amped up because I just saw this huge, long storyline cut down and shown to me. It's big moments and it feels this Mm -hmm. impactful thing. And now I'm going to see the culmination of that, because basically WrestleMania is the the end of the the season it's like where all the storylines peak uh so they do they do a great job of that stuff excellent are you streaming are you doing the app at this point yeah for everything how much is that that's i remember them being gouging like everything back in the pay-per-view days it's i mean you'll there was a chant 9.99 it's 10 bucks Uh a month but, uh, you know, I tend to cancel for months at a time. And they were running a promotion where it was like 10 bucks for three months around WrestleMania. Yeah, so bad. it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. That seems fun. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, congrats on your WrestleMania. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to our review of Shazam. Right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. This is proof of authenticity. Super strength. Electricity manipulation. Hyperspeed. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. Cat 
Captain Sparkle Fingers. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Chosen one. Oh, you're like a bad guy, right? You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. And that was from the trailer for Shazam, David F. Sandberg's adaptation of the famous comic. I'll just read the description here from IMDb. This is probably one of the most elaborate IMDb descriptions I've read in some time. We all have a superhero inside us. It just takes a bit of magic to bring it out. In Billy Batson's case, by shouting what out one word, Shazam, this streetwise 14-year-old foster kid can turn into the grown-up superhero, Shazam. Now that's a summary. Really, that's the movie right there. Uh, joining they us- just keep yeah. telling the same story over and over again. So it goes. And that voice yeah. is Griffin Newman, joining us here from the Blank Check podcast. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. Uh, thank you uh, guys for giving me the opportunity to talk Shazam. I was telling you, we, we've been covering a lot of the DC movies on my podcast. And then we announced that we weren't going to cover this one, and people have been irate. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I appreciate having some outlet. <laughs> Riots in the streets, yeah. Uh, uh, Trump won't stop tweeting about it. Yeah. It's been like a big to-do. I haven't been keeping tabs on this, this drama. Yeah. Why the decision not to cover this one? We, we've always been, Blink Check, we're like director-based. We pick a director right. and we go through all Feel of Feel free to movies. pitch it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's about career arcs and filmographies. So we pick someone who we think at some point achieved blank check status and uh, got to make whatever kind of crazy movies uh-huh. they wanted and the ups and downs of their career from there. We did a one-off episode on Batman versus Superman. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> Batman v Superman. Yes, yes. Uh, when it came out, Dawn of Justice, seemed, sir. Dawn of Justice. I'm sorry, BVS DOJ. Uh, <laughs> when it was coming out, it seemed like such a weird blank check movie. Mm-hmm. Like they were really letting Zack Snyder do uh, whatever he wanted, including uh, coming up with the strangest titling structure of all time. <laughs> uh, and we weren't planning on doing like all the DC movies or doing all of Zack Snyder's movies. But then when Suicide Squad came out, it felt like another one that we had to talk about. So there became this running thing of us doing like emergency episodes whenever a DC movie came out uh-huh. because they kind of seemed to be weirdly like simultaneously movies that were very blank checky and and anti blank check. Like they're very much those directors voices, but then they also felt like they were weird like studio monstrosities yeah yeah. with warner brothers trying to replicate this marvel model and now as they've become more and more (laughs) functional we're like well i don't know if we need to keep talking about them because now they actually have become like truly director driven movies you know yeah yeah um there's less this feeling of like this weird like lumbering behemoth of like dc trying to copy marvel's model and more just god for that Right. These are just like pretty functional movies that feel like they represent their individual directors voices now uh, pretty cleanly. And then the other problem is we just like have so many things we promised to do on the podcast that uh, we're just finishing up Tim Burton now. Mm -hmm. And our plan was to like finish all of Tim Burton's films right in time for Dumbo to come out. (laughs) But now our Dumbo episodes coming out a month late. Because of all the other things people have like requested we do. So it was like, we're not going to have Dumbo be five weeks late. No one's going to want to talk about Dumbo five weeks after. So Nobody Shazam wants to talk just about... felt like, 
Dumbo right, barely anyway. now. Right. So we were like, I guess we cut Shazam because it doesn't feel like Aww. even when David saw it early, he was like, it's really good. I don't know what, you know, how much it fits into what we talk about in our show, but it's just like very fun. Yeah, you're always welcome here to chat about whatever offshoots maybe that doesn't fit into the blank check model. I will say this movie could be the beginning of David F. Sandberg's blank check status because it's doing very well. It is. And he's had a really like interesting career arc that very Mm -hmm. much mirrors a lot of the people we talk about. If you look at the jump from like him doing like a self-produced short film to doing Lights Out to Annabelle 2. Which is good. You know, creation. Yeah. And then to this, it's like a pretty, you know, we we kind of bemoan the fact that you don't see people slowly building their career, that very often you get the person who makes the like $250,000 Sundance movie and then gets a $200 million blockbuster. And that's not really uh, good for either. (laughs) That doesn't help a director learn how to like grow. Yes. And I think it also gives the studio a lot of power to steamroll whoever's directing the movie. And, like, this is a guy who's, like, had a nice little growth to him. And he said in interviews that when he, like, because he self-produced the the Lights Out short, uh, New Line bought it and gave him, like, the chance to make a feature. And he was like, that was the first time I had ever been on a professional film set. Wow. Was directing wow. that movie, which is pretty nuts. He was like, I would yeah. just make my own things with my friends. But I'd never been on like a professionally run film set. And suddenly I was making like, you know, a six million dollar movie, which then led to like a 20 million dollar movie, which then led to 200 to 300 more friends. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But this also feels like a kind of like properly sized movie where someone can actually like get a chance to uh, I don't know try something weird with it. You know, definitely. It's not like a crazy 250 million dollar movie. Mm hmm. It's yeah, it's cheap enough where they I, I feel like the studio didn't really have much of an expectation of it either. It's like the the character's name is Shazam. He has a big lightning bolt yeah. in his chest. Like I, I don't know what's happening with this movie, but uh, maybe it'll make money. Who knows? But uh, Griffin, I wanted to ask you. You're also a superhero in your part time. Um, sure. What is you know as a superhero yourself? What is your opinion yeah. of Shazam? Um, you know, some people accuse me of being a sidekick, so I appreciate you calling me a superhero. Every sidekick is a superhero. Uh, Come on. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think that the Tick and Arthur are co-heroes. Right. I think it's a very collaborative process. I I enjoyed Shazam thoroughly. And I feel like it's it's kind of what I want these movies to be, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, between being like a kid who grew up reading comic books to then becoming like a massive superhero movie fan to them becoming someone kind of feeling burnt out on all these movies and shows while then simultaneously moving into being someone <laughs> who works on one of these shows. I've had like such a weird sort of uh, relationship with these things for so long. But I've been at this point recently where I'm just kind of like, I feel like these things have become too lumbering. Yes. Yeah. And these interconnected universes have become so complicated where it's very hard to just make like one movie with its own ideas that stands on its own. And Shazam like is that. And I feel like there were rumors for a while that it was going to be totally disconnected from the DC stuff, which is another reason we thought we wouldn't do it on the podcast. Right. But instead, it's like a movie that is in the same universe as the Zack Snyder movies and as Wonder Woman and as Aquaman, but like has its own radically different sensibility, which is kind of what I've been 
waiting for. Like yeah. to, for people to make these interconnected universes that don't have to uh, constantly be shaking hands with the other movies and also don't need to have the exact same tone and the exact same visual aesthetic as the other movies. Because if you like read comic books, you know, all the DC books take place by and large in the same continuity and the Marvel books take place in the same continuity and they're radically different. Mm -hmm. They have totally different artists and totally different sensibilities, you know, Um, and it gets a little frustrating when it feels like everything is like forced to mush somewhere into the middle. Totally feel that. And this is like a family comedy that also feels like a proper superhero movie. And it doesn't totally destroy the last five or six DC movies. It's like uh, Batman lives in Gotham City. Superman hangs out in Metropolis. <laughs> the Flash is in Keystone City. Yeah. Shazam hangs out in Philly. Sure. You know, right. It's like, it's, like right. it's, a, it's so tonally different even to the, the setting. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that it's, it, it wants to be in its own universe. It kind of doesn't matter. And it's like, no, we're here in Philadelphia, you know, a real place that exists on a map. <laughs> I mean, I, th- right, I feel like most like, people only yeah. see Philly in movies, right? So yeah. it, it yes. kind of fits into that. This is like Shyamalan-esque, right? The weird other side of Philadelphia or like a Rocky movie or something. Yeah, and it, yeah. And it, it, it confirms it – con- this movie confirms that Bruce Wayne could have watched Rocky because <laughs> yes. they both – exist in the same universe right rocky as a movie exists in the same world that superman and batman and wonder woman live in (laughs) and that's an interesting thing because the marvel universe has always been like the real world with the real cities we know and superheroes existing in them and dc and large has lived off of those fake cities and fake presidents you know right (laughs) like this sort of like slightly different world than what we know And this is weirdly kind of like finding a midpoint between the two that I think works really beautifully because it makes Shazam feel kind of street level. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's in Philly, that he's not in one of these famous DC cities, that he's kind of like, you know, not as shiny as the other guys, that he's just sort of a local celebrity (laughs) rather than being like a worldwide hero. Yeah, a little Spider-Man-esque, like he's your friendly neighborhood Shazam. In a way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and the whole game the movie is playing about, like, is he a social media star? <laughs> is he, like, a street busker? Is he, like, a real hero? He's all of these like, things. Like, no one really knows. He yeah. contains multitudes. Uh, Jeff, I know you're a huge comic fan and a huge DC fan. What are your feels on this movie? Well, Devendra, I guess you could say my feelings about Shazam are best summed up in the form of a limerick. You know Dave is not here. You don't, you well, don't have to I'm do this. I'm trying to get him back. I'm trying to get him back. <laughs> you know, he's so mad. Griffin, you should need some backstory. Yes. So Dave Chen, who you are sitting in for graciously today, sure. uh, has demanded uh, that there be a limerick in every episode of the Slash Filmcast. He, he gets very angry about it. Last week, I did not, I did not deliver a limerick. That's and true. You wow. see the result. He's not here today. He's uh, turned off. Yeah. He is so infuriated at me. I got angry texts. Yeah. He said I refuse to go back on the show. So I'm just doing my part to try to get him back. Sure, uh, sure. This is my this is my limerick review of Shazam. Okay, ready? Thank goodness Levi took the gig cuz he made it a movie I dig. I was delighted to find it's like someone combined greatest American hero and big. Perfect. I love so, it. Yeah. The last line's I, I, a little, I, little rough, but you know, 
I, I think he's going to re-download Skype. I think it's going to work. You <laughs> get your you. boy back. Thank you. So, uh, yes, I I had a great time with Shazam as well, and it, it, that is exactly how I feel about it. Two things that I loved in my youth, The Greatest American Hero and Big, are the the sensibilities of this movie. It's somebody trying to figure out how to be a superhero, which I always enjoyed with The Greatest American Hero, where it's like you got these powers. You don't know how to activate them or use them. <laughs> There's so much fun in that. You know, you can remember even the first spider, the first rainy Spider-Man movie sure. where Tobey Maguire is trying to figure out his spider powers. There's, there's joy in in that, in in just the and the, so much of this movie is that, uh, and also the the wish fulfillment thing of a little kid wishing they could be a superhero and then becoming one, and all the the fun in appearing like a, an adult at times in a in the world. This movie, for the first, I don't know. I was first of all, I was surprised this movie was over two hours long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the first, I don't know, twenty minutes, everything up until Zachary Levi shows up in this movie, I was not digging. I was like, I don't know really? about this. It felt clunky. That whole opening like, sequence is really—it's an interesting way to start this movie. Basically, yes, it's dark. Yeah. It's super dark. So dark. Like, this movie is real. I don't understand, first of all, why this movie is PG-13. Yes. I think it should be PG. It, it's like they wanted it to have a little more street cred because the, right. the cool teens won't go see a PG movie. Um, but, yeah, it starts really dark. It starts really kind of clunky. There's, a, there's like wizards in caves that feel a little <laughs> odd. And it's it's so, just, it, it feels self-aware of its campiness, but if you're not on the wavelength of the movie, you, know, you could be like, yeah. this, is some, this is some bullshit. Like, it what's just wasn't, wasn't working for me at all until Zachary Levi shows up and then it instantly becomes like a thousand percent more fun. Right. And he is having a blast and there's the movie. It just, it just has a great time. And I was having a great time. I was laughing out loud. I, I love as Griffin brought up the look of this movie. It, it does not feel like it, <laughs> it stands alongside the Snyderverse in any sense. It, it really is. It feels okay to be a little goofy and a little, um, you know, four color from the the comic book page. It, yeah. it, it's happy to make Zachary Levi look ridiculous, and and it, you know, and it, it the the uh, Mark Strong plays the villain, and he's just chewing scenery in a wonderful Mark Strong Mark way. Mark Strong plays the villain, you say? I've never uh, seen I... that before. <laughs> it's certainly not in a superhero movie. Right. Yeah, certainly not in a decent movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, you know, I had a, I had a great time with this. Uh, it has heart. It is. It wears its heart on its sleeve. It's not afraid to be um, mushy and heartfelt and sincere. I love that about it. I wish more DC movies were like that. Um, I think it's my favorite of the of the DC movies. I don't even know if it belongs in that grouping, quite honestly. But it's my favorite so far. And I I want more in this universe. I I think Zachary Levi is great. My my honestly my biggest complaint of this whole movie is I never bought that he and the kid actor were the same person. Yes, yeah. Because he is having way more fun than the kid is. And the kid is like and, you know morose yeah. uh, teen yes. basically. I don't get it. And I understand that like when you're the superhero, it's fun, but. I feel like there should be at least some consistency between who they are right. <laughs> moment to moment. That, that's where it like kind of lost person. me from big, right? Cause in big, you could still tell, Oh, it's that kid as an adult, just still being a kid. And in this movie, it's not quite the same. Well, in big, you have 
bookends of the kid, right? right? You're, it's it's ninety percent Tom Hanks, right? And he, this movie, you're literally getting juxtaposition moment to moment of them switching back and forth, and you're like, I don't think it's the same guy. <laughs> you know? I'll also say, I mean, when we move into spoiler territory, I'll have more to say on this note. But I, I think a big difference with Big is that in Big, Tom Hanks is playing that kid. Like his performance very much feels in harmony with the kid from the movie. And I don't know if he was studying that kid or watching the daily production order is. But even something like Moonlight, where you have like three actors playing the same guy at different ages, you know, or six actors playing two different characters at three different ages. Barry Jenkins has said that, like, pointedly, he never had actors meet each other right. because he didn't want them to copy each other, but especially, uh, you know, with with the main performances. They feel very much in sync with each other, and that feels like Jenkins really modulating the three of them and writing very specifically and directing them very specifically. That's probably the biggest feeling of this movie if you want to throw anything at it is it feels like Levi is playing a kid in a superhero body, but he's not playing that kid in a superhero right, body. Definitely. Right. The kid should be more like Levi. Levi should be more like the kid. They should meet somewhere in the middle, whatever it is. But it does feel like it, it's a little nonspecific. I wish the kid was more like Levi. I think Levi is having a great... Sure. Levi is the best part of this movie, in my opinion. And... I, I feel like the kid is just doing kid stuff, and, and that's not his fault. But yeah, but he, he also – he has a reason – I actually like the casting. I think the kid has a reason to be as morose as he is because this movie goes to some dark places, like darker than yeah. I expected ostensibly like a kids-oriented superhero movie to go. And we'll talk about some of that in spoilers. But hey, go ahead, Jeff. No, no. I, I, that's basically it. I just yeah. – I I'm not going to lay it at the feet of that young actor. I, I think that there should have been a better – uh, effort to to sync <laughs> yeah. those up, you know, on a casting level or a or a directing level. And yeah, as for my thoughts on this movie, guys, like I I enjoyed it. I'm echoing everything you're saying. It feels so fun and lighthearted in a way. A lot of these Warner Brothers DC movies haven't really felt. And I, I guess you could really say the turning point was Wonder Woman of just like taking it out of the Snyder tude, uh, whatever he was trying to do with those <laughs> movies. And Aquaman was certainly a big uh, exercise in like pure cinematic maximalism. And I enjoyed the heck out of, you know, Aquaman. This is another thing. Like this is clearly trying to make like a badass kids movie, you know, like the kids who grew up watching Goonies or something. Like I bring up hook a lot because that's a movie I grew up with. I understand that's not a great movie, but I really love it. This one feels like, you know, genuinely good movie. That's really aimed at kids. Uh, Something we will probably talk a little more about in spoilers though. It does feel I kind of feel like this movie should skew younger in a weird way, yeah. just given mm-hmm. given the tone of like the suit and what the character is. Uh, it is really scary and extra violent at times. Like, um, yeah, people needlessly, needlessly, needlessly. Like, like kind it of cruel. Yeah, doesn't get anything from that. Like, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't make the movie better by doing that. There is one scene where like a whole room of people are just massacred. In a terrifying way, and then certainly yeah. I'm sure, like, I, I saw families bring, like, a bunch of young kids to this movie. This is one of those things that will scar those kids for life. And, um, you know, it's mainly that. And also, like, I'm not I'm not normally much of a prude, but it is funny that this movie just says uh, a lot of people are saying shit. Um, shit is one <laughs> of the first lines echoed in this movie. 
And that it it felt weird. Like totally, it felt like this movie didn't know if it wanted to be that sort of like wise ass teen or if it wanted to be something a little more wholesome and more welcoming. And you know, I, I didn't there, know if that's down to the script part of or something. And that that uh-huh. reminded me of like Amblin films. Yes, yeah. like something like Gremlins that was like ostensibly a family movie, but that was like, really violent content, or like <laughs> ET having you know penis breath or whatever <laughs> gremlins but, is like yeah. a straight up horror movie you know like mm-hmm. gremlins on a certain level right, is like right. this kind of visceral and this movie just is is lighthearted and fun <laughs> it didn't need didn't need it you know no i agree i mean it's got some weird mashing of, of tones a whole like sort of it makes sense that those scenes are as intense as they are yeah. considering they hired a director coming off of two horror movies <laughs> sure, but, yeah but it, but like I was comparing it in my mind even to like Sam Raimi on the first two Spider-Man in right. particular, which have a couple scenes that are like weirdly intense in this sort of like <laughs> ah, the Doc Ock hospital scene this is glorious. Right. It's so good. Right. But even this like the 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 scenes I won't spoil anything, but uh-huh. the scenes in this that are more violent feel a little more frightening and like visceral Mm -hmm. you know yeah so i don't know if that's down to just like this being david sandberg's you know third movie and maybe not having a Mm -hmm. decent grasp of this tone or if that's from the script or anything it just this is one of those things where i feel like even spielberg starts to understand later on in life like the how do you manage the tone of his movies um yeah it's not a big distraction and i still like the movie overall i think it's a lot of fun like i have to say like this movie is giving me what I've wanted out of Superman for so long. And yes. Yes. I don't know much about this character. Isn't he essentially a Superman ripoff? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Ripoff. Uh, I, I, that was the whole thing at the beginning. Like from what I have read and heard. Well, I mean, every superhero is yeah. a Superman ripoff on a certain level. But but... I thought the creators were sued by DC because it was such a Superman ripoff. Uh, I, I, I may not I be aware of that were. history. Mm-hmm. This is a weird example of like a character that was a competitor to Superman that ended up getting acquired by DC years later. And obviously was originally for a long time called Captain Marvel. (laughs) I mean, they obviously had to do it for legal reasons as well. Yeah, correct. But yeah, and this movie, you know, it it is clearly not the Alex Ross Shazam, you know, that is, you know, majestic and regal and noble. I mean, this is. They've made a clear decision. I mean, this movie, one of the thoughts that I had watching it was like they don't need to make a plastic man movie anymore. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't know if there was there was in the cards, but it like lives in the same wheelhouse as Plastic Man. Like Plastic Man is the superhero who's always kind of goofing off and and doesn't really know how to be a superhero and does goofy stuff. Like Shazam is that now, which is I loved it, but it's very different than traditionally what Shazam has been. Mm-hmm. I feel like not growing up as a huge Shazam fan, but having read comics at times or seeing him pop up in other series. And I remember watching there was the Hanna-Barbera cartoon show, which I used to watch. There would always be this thing where like once they took it to Shazam, Shazam would just start acting like an adult superhero. Right, right. Like he would yeah. kind of lose the kid in there. He would become kind of majestic and all powerful right. and confident. There was that disconnect. And the two things I kept on thinking about watching this movie in terms of what it represents and like the history of, of superhero movies, as it were, are uh, A, the weird period in the 90s 
where and and into the early 2000s where a bunch of superheroes uh, almost got made into like high concept comedies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's famous the Robert Smigel Black Green Lantern that never happened. Yeah. Where Warner Brothers was like let someone make it into like a parody of what it is. And before Ang Lee came on to Hulk, Universal thought about doing it as an Adam Sandler movie. Like there was this notion of like, there's another Jim Carrey one. I forget. I think Jim Carrey, they wanted to do Hulk as well. (laughs) But like this notion of any sort of like superhero superpower that's more absurd like that or transformative like that. Can you turn it into like a star vehicle and a big comedy? Because otherwise the mythology of the thing was always seen as like too dorky to make into an earnest movie, mm-hmm. you know, right. with Marvel, uh, you know, when, when Dr. Blake, the, the old Thor origin was Dr. Blake finds the hammer and is turned into right. Thor. It's like, right. you don't see Dr. Blake poking through when he's Thor, he's Thor. You know, and that's right. that's how Shazam used to be. Like once the kid could turn into Shazam, but once he's Shazam, he's full on Shazam and there's no little kid in there. Uh, right. And that, I think it's I think it's a fun choice to make it more like big. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what wave we're in. Right. Because we're in the post second wave Marvel, I guess. So uh, right. this, this is a new era of superhero movies. But this feel like we're they're allowed to be what they are. In a way, like Aquaman mm-hmm. is is essentially, you know, Star Wars or King Arthur underwater. And it's yeah. allowed to be as weird and rich as the creators want it to be. And I think that's really exciting yeah. between that and Wonder Woman and everything. So it's it's kind of cool. I'm excited about this. Certainly like this type of movie more than I am for the next Avengers. If you were to tell me that, you know, they were going to make a bunch of DC superhero movies and I'd be more excited about Aquaman and Shazam than I was about Superman and Batman. <laughs> I would have said you were nuts, but here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. And, you know, I, when they announced it and they said we're doing it as like big and it's going to be new line instead of Warner brothers, and it's going to be lower budget in relation to these other gargantuan budget movies. It felt like, Oh, is this sort of like a sort of throwaway? in their plan Mm -hmm. but it now feels more indicative of what they're trying to make these movies which are like just figure out what the most honest version of this story and this character is Mm -hmm. and don't worry about it having to like feed into the house of cards we're building and uh you know in the same way that aquaman is just like so goofy (laughs) you know wonder woman is so sort of like political and emotional uh in terms of its sort of like commentary on humanity Mm -hmm. and this is like you know, at first when they were like, they're just making it into like a, a body swap comedy. I thought it was strange. But then you're like, no, that's what that character should have always been. Like, that's the best version to make. The other thing I kept thinking about watching this movie is like this coming so shortly after Zack Snyder at his Snyder Fest or whatever it was, where he made his like, you know, if you think Superman isn't embezzling money, you're not living in the real world. Oh, comics. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel like so much of the Zack Snyder thing, which like the DC universe was sort of forged in in this modern era, was him being like, I want to make all these heroes broken and corrupt, you know, and sort of morally bankrupt because he's not a guy who, by his own admission, really believes in the idea of like pure heroism. And he finds that kind of childish. It's really cynical worldview that this was all built on. Right. 
And when he was making uh, Watchmen, he kept seeing that in interviews where he was like, this is the only superhero movie I could ever make. I don't get <laughs> Superman. I think he's a loser. Like, you can find those interviews. And he would just be like, I like people who are, like, broken and corrupt. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that they let him, like, make the first three movies and sort of form this universe is kind of nuts. But this yeah. is a movie that, like, deals with serious real-world issues, but it doesn't feel like it's in a cynical sort of performative way. You know, this is a movie that deals with a kid who's like a victim of the foster system, you know, who's been like abandoned by his parent and is like acting up. And there's like real emotional trauma in this movie. But it's not about spoilers. Let's 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 jump to that. So let's move on to spoilers for Shazam. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I mean, that's what's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to me is that spoilers for this movie are both a how much weirder and more sort of big scale comic booky it becomes in the last like 30 minutes yes and b how much more emotionally deep it is than the trailer sold because i feel like the trailers really just sold like uh, shazam's gonna yeah. do the dougie kid, kid become <laughs> superhero and that's yeah, it right. and there, i don't I mean, think there was a, any the... mention of like him being an adopted kid and him living no. in a foster family or any of that stuff and that honestly worked so well because we rarely see that in a movie like this and certainly done so well like this the the poster yeah. of him blowing bubble a bubble in his <laughs> mouth and on the cell phone <laughs> is just sinister when you when you realize how dark this movie really is like oh yeah yeah. That poster is like, oh my god, let's bring the whole so thing. Funny. It's going to be a hard one. Whereas the actual and movie yeah. is like, your mother doesn't love you. Deal with it. <laughs> yes! The first right. ten minutes of this movie is literally like the worst father <laughs> berating his son and then getting yeah. into a horrible car accident. It's like, what movie did we step into? I want the bubblegum movie. Who, that who's that the actor, by the way, the father actor? Isn't he also from Smallville? John Lover. Also playing Terrible yeah. Father in Smallville? Yeah. He yeah. played Lex Luthor's dad on Smallville. Same thing. Yeah, he's like a classic bad dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll say, I mean, I think truly the darkest thing I have ever seen in any superhero movie, non-hyperbolically, is the scene where Billy sees his mother. And I she's know. like, yeah, no, I knew. Jeez. I yes, knew no. I would let I, I let you be <laughs> taken away by the It's It is so horrific what she tells right. him oh man to his that's face. i mean that's true darkness you know it's branding someone with a battering you know but that's yes. like that's the kind of stuff they usually hide from these movies i would rather my parents be gunned down in an alley by a <laughs> yeah. robber than have right. my mom say i didn't want you oh man i wanted to <laughs> interview raised by cops it's insane i want to interview the kids like there, there were scores of families in the theater I saw this movie. I saw it at the Nighthawk uh, near Prospect Park. So that's it's it's all Park Slope families, and like it's a big family theater. And I wanted to know how did this movie hurt them? Because guys, I remember um, there's that scene in Hook, formative movie for me, where you know Peter Pan talks about how he was just kind of like left alone, like he you know what his carriage was just like uh, escorted away, and his mother lost him, and like Tinkerbell had to save him. And that idea of a baby just losing their mother was so sad to yeah. me as a child. 
And this is yeah. even more hardcore. This isn't just like an accident. This is like the mom being maliciously just abandoning her child. This is there will be blood in a superhero movie. Twice. Yeah. She yeah, she saw an opportunity <laughs> and she took it. I've abandoned my child. The opportunity was to abandon her son. Oh man. <laughs> the other scene that's super jacked up too is Mark Strong striding into his dad and brother's office <laughs> and straight up murdering them and yeah. feeling nothing. And then there's like a song about family in the elevator. And he's as he's leaving, oh, it's like man. played for laughs that he had like just committed patricide. <laughs> it's 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 insane. This is kind of how, you know, yeah. uh, you know, David Sandberg's coming out of like horror movie mentality. Like it did <laughs> yeah, feel like, oh, right. I can just have a bloodbath for, you know, for a time in this movie. And maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we didn't have to go that far, guy. I don't know. But there is something to horror directors making good superhero for directors, sure. surprisingly. Sure. Yeah. You know, between Raimi and James Wan, was the only before Superman or after? I was like trying to combine the <laughs> compile the list in my head of like superhero directors who did horror movies beforehand. Mm. I don't know. It's a good question. But there is yeah. something I think in terms of the tone management you need for superhero movies, even though we're talking about how sometimes the tone on this movie isn't a hundred percent in line. There is something in horror movies where they often have to balance like high comedy and sort of like very visceral thrills, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think that the reason this movie gets away with as horrific and sort of heart wrenching as it is is because it balances it on the other side with some really deeply heartwarming things yep. that yeah. you know like the 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 dynamic of the foster family is legitimately lovely and yeah. the 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 parents are depicted in not like a fairy tale nice way but just a down to earth it's hard life's tough yeah. but it's supportive not easy. so supportive yes. yeah supportive and yeah. but but like thinking it through and they don't have all the answers but they're trying it and the kids themselves are really interesting and supportive and it's i think it's a well-drawn sensitive sort of uh uh nuanced take on mm-hmm. that that, mm-hmm. that i think really makes it work and and his journey uh, uh billy batson's journey to feeling a familiar bond with them is earned. Like I, I don't think the movie takes any shortcuts with it. It, it really feels yeah. like he does. He does come to understand that, and we all go, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's important. A- to have another family. bit of tone management, by the way, in this movie, the point where teenage boys run into a disabled child and just like start beating him up too, and making yeah, fun yeah. of him after hitting him with their car. Yeah, and none, nobody seems to be upset about that oh, except man. our hero. Yeah. This is is kind of hilarious. Uh, I just I laughed out loud when that happened. That may make me a terrible person. Uh but uh, guys, <laughs> we're talking about um family. This movie is really all about hashtag #family as I think the best <laughs> movies are these days. Um I did not see the what, what do we call the Shazam family? The Shazamly? Well, I didn't see the that. Shazamly. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I'll say the most restraint I have ever seen or not ever seen, but have seen (laughs) the marketing department of a film of this size use in a long time. Yeah, because to have something as money as all the kids becoming superheroes and not spoil that to spoil so little of the movie and the trailers is one of the reasons why I think this film is uh, such an enjoyable watch. 
you know, as 100%. opposed I agree, 100%. to so many films of this size where it feels kind of like pre-digested before you've seen it. You've had like a bunch of trailer breakdowns where even if they're not telling every plot point in the images and everything, you can kind of figure it out. And people have the sort of movie piece together in their mind and they're just checking it off as they go along it was kind of fascinating to watch this movie mm-hmm. get two scenes in the opening that i did not expect <laughs> to be in this movie have almost everything in the trailer accomplished by minute like 45 and have no idea where this movie was going mm-hmm. yeah and that the shazam reveal and and how it plays out is so freaking fun it is so yeah. much fun the casting is delightful the that wish fulfillment, just the idea of that is so awesome. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it just it's a home run from that moment. And you're right. Like to, the fact that somebody was like, no, no, we're <laughs> yeah. not revealing that. We're not going to show it's that. It's going to make the movie better if people discover this yeah. on their own. Kids are going to cheer the other everywhere. Thing, right, right, right. I mean, it's such a satisfying payoff. The other thing is, I mean, and I was sort of teasing this when we were talking earlier, but I feel like Adam Brody and Megan Good in particular oh, man. are so good and are so clearly playing the same kids. Yes. yes you know, as yes. their younger actors in yes. a way that the the Levi Billy thing, uh, what's his name, uh, who plays young Billy, uh, you know, the yeah. way they don't sync up from the second Megan Good starts talking, you're like, that's Starla, you know, the second yeah. they reveal totally. Adam Brody, you're like, that's brilliant casting. <laughs> Totally. And he so fully feels like that same Jacqueline Grazer character in this bigger body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's really, really uh, satisfying. And it also has that thing. I mean, we keep on talking about Spider-Man a lot, but I think it's only as like a positive comparison. This movie has the thing that I love in like great Spider-Man movies and cartoons and everything where it is dovetailing of the personal life and the superhero conflict. Where that moment where he realizes the only way to get out of this and save the day is also for him to stop fighting the thing he's been fighting in his personal life. Yes. You know, that he needs to learn to accept that this is his family and he needs to use the family <laughs> to beat the bad guys <laughs> is like that's like why I like superhero stories. Yes. When you can have those moments where just everything like sort of coalesces at, at one moment, a perfect dovetail, and it becomes this sort of like totally a static payoff of just mm-hmm. like five big kids in giant brightly colored costumes punching the seven deadly sins another thing <laughs> i think it's insane was not in the trailers at all that they're literally fighting yeah. the manifestation of seven deadly sins but it's also if they're if they're like imprisoned shouldn't there be like no sin in the world i don't, I don't know about the logistics of this whole thing yeah. but uh yeah it's still feels pretty crappy yeah, yeah. we're all still, you know everything's yeah. still going on uh, I will say the Adam Brody reveal kind of, uh, you know, it, it was shocking and a little fun because I, I love the OC when that was on the air. It is really funny to see Adam Brody and Zachary Levi, uh, you know, two guys from uh, teen shows, ostensibly in the 2000s, mm-hmm. now as superheroes. Like, live long enough to well, see other, your nerds uh, be superheroes, right. basically. You'll get there. The other crazy thing is you have Adam Brody and DJ Katrona. <laughs> He's playing the the grown up Pedro. Yeah. Uh, and DJ Catrona was supposed to be Superman in the George Miller Justice League. Oh, really? And Adam Brody was supposed to be the Flash. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They were so you have two of the failed George Miller Superman huh? a Justice League team rather now getting to like play superheroes. Yeah, that's pretty wild. 
That's insane. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to mention about this movie? I feel like we've we've kind of talked as much as we can about it. Uh, I'm really excited to see where they go. Like, given how successful it's been, um, I, I think the sequel is already greenlit with the same screenwriter. So it seems like that's a go. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of well, places they could take this. You get you gotta call you gotta call the sequel Shazam's, right? <laughs> yes, Shazamily yeah. or Shazamily. Yeah. Shazamily. <clears throat> uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson weirdly ends up with an executive producer credit on this movie, yeah. because he signed up to play Black Adam like five or six years ago. Yeah, uh, when that's I think the, they that's thought... the gig to get, man. Is the oh. you get the money? See, you get that executive right. producer money, <laughs> and you don't. He you didn't have to even show up. He just, uh, just right. said, I'd do it, and then doesn't do it, but still gets yeah. the money. That's pretty good, if you can get that. Right. And uh, at the time, I think it was when they thought they were going to make a more serious Shazam movie. And then at some point, he announced, like, we're spinning it off Black Adams' own movie, which felt like a weird prospect. But now, after seeing this, I'm, like, so much more in favor of The Rock having his own badass Black Adam movie. And <laughs> yeah. maybe they they cross paths at some point in Shazam 3. But you make another Shazam movie with this kind of tone. I mean, the only thing I want to say mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, selfishly, I mean, you know, we've been talking about the question of how traumatizing is this going to be from children. And I certainly have heard a lot of people, like, talking about hearing the cries when, like, <laughs> John Glover's, like, head gets eaten off and, and stuff. Um <laughs> I saw this movie at like uh, like an 11 p.m. showing because I was hearing so many good things about it that I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to like go out and sit by myself uh-huh. and went to the theater two blocks away. So I saw it uh, without any kids in the audience. Um, and for me, like even though I was sometimes like keeping in mind like, oh, this is a lot more uh, violent and dark than I thought this movie would be from the advertising. I didn't have to deal with any traumatized kids. So selfishly for me, I was like, I really love how weirdly this movie is playing with tones. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, in a way that reminds me of like Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson and these guys who would make horror movies that were like very visceral and very goofy and very romantic, you know, and yeah. corny and like brutal and, and all of that sort of stuff. You know, I don't know how well it's going to play with families everywhere. <laughs> I wonder if this is going to be one of those movies like Return to Oz that like we grew up watching being like, that was weirdly kind of dark in retrospect. Yeah. If it's going to be the movie that like kids remember being like the first time they were scared in a theater. But if the kids don't leave, the payoff is so strong. That it's not a movie that I think is going to, like, leave you nightmares in a weird way Mm -hmm. because it ends on such a positive note of, like, catharsis, you know? All the kids Uh, in my screening were shouting Shazam at the end. Oh, yeah. They're like – the credits were rolling and they were shouting Shazam. So Yeah, Yeah, and uh, that, like, that rules. Like, that's why superhero movies should exist. Like, it's great if adults can enjoy them too. I want them to be legitimate movies. But, like, any time people are like, this is a version of Joker that kids would hate, you know? (laughs) Or all, like, people saying, like, Like Batman would scare children. Right. And I'm like, if you make a Batman movie that no kid will enjoy, I think you failed. Yeah. I agree 100%. 100%. It work for every kid, and it should work for adults as well. (laughs) But if you're out there explicitly trying to make a superhero movie to scare children, mm-hmm. unless it's like Watchmen, I think that's kind of messed up. Totally messed up. Dude, you, you guys, I, as I was watching this movie, I was thinking of uh, the kid who would be king, the Joe Cornish movie that <laughs> yeah. just came out. And I was yeah. thinking, you know, this would be a great double feature with that movie, except the kid who would be king, I think, knows 
it, it, tonally, it does a better job yeah. of being a kids' movie. That's a PG movie. It is a little more yeah. wholesome. Yeah. There's certainly like peril and violence and everything, but it's not as it's more cartoonish and it's not as like deep and affecting as this. So maybe that's kind of what I was hoping to like. I, I would have liked a better double feature, just so like. I have young nieces and nephews, and I'd love to, like, introduce sure, them to sure. this movie and also be able to show them, you know, Shazam. But, uh, you know, I guess I could be that, uh, you know, that uncle who shows kids inappropriate cool stuff sometimes. Uncle. I'm the cool the guy. Cool right. Yeah. It's good to be the cool I ha- guy. I have, uh, I have three things I want to say before we wrap. Uh-huh. One is, we one scene we haven't mentioned, I think is my favorite scene in the whole movie, is the, like, the Seven Eleven <laughs> scene, mm-hmm. which is very early on in the Zachary Levi appearance. And it just is a delight. Like the idea of buying beer and then realizing it's not even good. Like how it treats all of that oh, stuff yeah. is yeah. so smart and funny and well done, well executed, like actually has a good message for kids, but doesn't ignore the fact that if you were an adult, mm-hmm. you'd probably, you know, it's just so smart and well done. Secondly, and this goes to what we were just talking about. The idea that this movie exists contemporaneously with the the superhero movies we've seen so far and there's still a character in it that like idolizes superman and batman uh-huh. yeah it, it makes no sense at all you know like the, that kid is that kid idolizes superman and batman but what we know about superman and batman based on the movies oh, that sure. are in this universe sure. It makes no sense. It's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, it does feel like they're quietly trying to like retcon those specific performances yeah. and depictions oh, yeah. while right. keeping in the world. But it is a thing that the, I find is often missing from modern superhero movies is the sense of their relationship to the public and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's great that it's... like so you always get the sense of like you know how the citizens feel about these heroes. Definitely. Yeah. Also, we got a shout out to the final shot of this movie, which I think is uh, uh, Chef's Kiss. It's perfect. It's so good. It's pretty wonderful. It's yeah. pretty wonderful. Yeah. But I will, and that was the third thing I was going to uh-huh. say is that um, it, it's a it's a cool little uh, bonus scene. Although as soon as you see that Superman outfit <laughs> walk in, yep. it like. Just the juxtaposition between the outfit and the Shazam yeah. outfit. It's like we're in completely different <laughs> universes here, man. Yeah. But it was still a cool moment. Definitely a cool moment. It's definitely like they are sort of reconning it. Whereas I think in the Snyder Superman movies, it felt like people were afraid of Superman. You know, yes, he, he, yes. he was this weird, evil alien and everybody hated him. And his father told him, don't save people for some reason. Right. Uh, I do. Yeah, let's recon. It. It's fine. Let's let's forget that happened and let's make it better. And somebody the kids can love. Somebody that would show up in a cafeteria and not terrify every child. Definitely. He's like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Also, totally in favor of not feeling the need to hard reboot it and be like, we're going to set up a new different <laughs> Superman in this movie. Like, right. let's just like slowly try to course correct yeah. <laughs> how cynical those characters were. And I guess it starts by yeah. just surrounding them with the more fun characters. So it's like, yes, yeah, maybe Shazam will play a better role at some point in Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Uh, like they were the best parts of Justice League too. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and even that, like the colors are so muted on that that Superman suit. Yeah. And you guys were saying how like four color Shazam is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a really nice sort of like juxtaposition in this movie where like the suit is so bright. It's so classic comic booky. They don't put any effort into trying to make it look badass. Right. He's right. giving this broad comedy performance. But then it's like shot in real Philadelphia. <laughs> Which is like kind of damp and murky and they're not in the best neighborhood. Not the brightest city in the world, yeah. 
Right. And it's like, <laughs> it, it pops more when you have this like big, bright hero existing in a more tangible real world than when you have like a desaturated suit in a sort of desaturated image in a fictional city. <laughs> and then the whole thing just feels kind of depressing, you know? Yeah. It just shows in stark contrast what a, I think, in my opinion, bad idea it is to even try. Like, let let the color be the not fit in the world. Like, that's the point. Superman is an alien from a different place. Like, let him be yeah. bright and shining and a beacon. It's it doesn't anyway. That's a different argument. They're, yes. they're like aspirational figures. They're like yes. a break from how bad the real world is. That's <laughs> right. why we tell superhero stories because we hate the actual world we live in unless you're Zack Snyder and he wants to make movies about how much he hates the world we live in. Oh man. Well, Griffin, I'll let you have the final word here. Uh, I do want to ask you, who do you think would win in a fight? The tick or Shazam? It's tough. I mean, I think they get along really well. I want to watch that. That would actually be hilarious. Yeah. And you guys talking about like just how canny it was when you saw the, the posters with Shazam on the cell phone and the bubble gum. Mm -hmm. I felt such a deep sense of jealousy when I saw those posters. It's interesting. I mean, they're both, you know, Shazam has a greater uh, breadth of power sets. Yes. There's more he can do. Uh, But the tick seems pretty unstoppable. Um, He's nigh invulnerable, as they say. Uh, Shazam is literally a kid in a superhero's body. Mm. And the tick is, is a like man an adult child. superhero. Yeah. Right, who maybe has the brain of a child, <laughs> but not literally. They would certainly um, get along. I, That'd I, be fun. Right. I think that's the thing. I think it would just diffuse, you know? There's a big thing in, in the new season of the tick that we just had come out where Tick is, is trying to hug fight people <laughs> to diffuse tension. <laughs> and I feel that's that's the thing. Like they would just want to hang out, you know? Oh, man, I, I, I would love, love to see that for sure. Well, thank yeah. you, guys. That's going to be a wrap for this episode of the Slash Filmcast. As always, you could drop us an email at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review, you know, or subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Griffin Newman, where can people find you on the Internet these days? Uh, I'm Griff Lightning on all uh, social media platforms. It's like uh, Grease Lightning, except with the first half of my name. I get it. I'm told it's terrible for search engine optimization. <laughs> Uh, I'm constantly uh, getting tagged uh, the wrong way. Uh, I And then a blink check uh, wherever podcasts are found. I mean, uh, film critic David Sims of the Atlantic, who is just on uh, your guys show. Yeah, he's so much um, fun. And uh, we're just finishing up uh, Tim Burton now and we'll shortly announce our next director, who is very much the opposite of uh, Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, I'm excited uh, for that. Uh, I just finished... I, I won the Tim Burton argument and then David won the next one. Oh, uh yes now i'm interested i just finished your dark shadows yeah. episode and that that certainly made revisiting that bad movie worth it i'd say that's what we go for <laughs> and then hopefully to try to expose uh, people to uh, good movies they've never seen and rewatch good movies they have seen definitely uh we try to do everything that was the least specific <laughs> statement I ever gave. Uh, uh, and then uh yeah tick season two is on amazon uh right now uh, i'll say if you like shazam i think it's similar in tone uh, we certainly try to balance the same sort of uh, weird absurdity and humor and the emotional stakes. There's a weird family show in the middle <laughs> of this crazy superhero battle uh, and uh, talking lobsters and uh, it's so much fun. I think no. cool fight scene. Is this the it's, this I, is I, the fourth iteration of the Tick 
at this point, like uh, including the comics, yeah, the, the original comics, animated show, right. the yeah, there's been right. so much. And they all have their own totally different continuities, but they've all been the same guy, Van <laughs> uh, Edlin, which is like very unique because they don't let, uh, you know, they didn't let Stan Lee write every Spider-Man right, movie. Right, right. Uh, and Ben Edlund gets to keep on doing this. So oh, I grew up as a big fan of the tick. It's crazy that I get to do it for a living. I, I hope I get to keep doing it. But uh, if you want to help me keep doing it, <laughs> uh, watch the show right now on Amazon Prime. All right. And Jeff Kanata, where can we find you? Ah, oh, so fun having you, Griffin. That was that was a blast. Uh, you can find me on on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I also do a video game podcast. If you want to hear me talk about video games, check out DLC, which you can find anywhere you get fine podcasts, or by visiting five by five TV slash DLC. Excellent. And you can find me at, at Devendra on Twitter. I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also doing a tech Q&A show at nomoretech.net. That's no with a K. And that's it for me. Thanks for joining us on the Slash Filmcast. We are out. Shazam! We watch the movies.